This is the Intentional Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Dima. Today, I want to talk about acquisition process and some of the speed bumps that I've experienced over the last few years of really digging into this space so that you can help get your business to a point where it could potentially be acquired. Now, as I say that, many of you that listen might not want to sell your business, and that's entirely fine. The parts and pieces that I'm going to cover here, they're going to matter for even just having a smoother running operation. You see, as part of this process for me, I've looked at 150 or so businesses at this point, and I'm very familiar with where the gaps are based on even minimal information from the owners, agents, whatever have you. So it's very interesting to be able to share those tips and tricks and give you an opportunity to do the assessment of your own business to see where you fall in this. So what are some of the things that I'm seeing? A lot of businesses are for sale. You can go to biz buy sell, for example, but in general, 85% of businesses, it might be 90 now, don't make it the first five years. And that's not great. On the back end of that though, only 10, maybe 15% of businesses sell or successfully transition to the next generation. And when I say successfully transitioned, a lot of people say, well, my, my kid took over. So in my family, there was a dry cleaners, uh, geez, let's see, a dry cleaners, a plumber, a well driller, a mechanic. I'm forgetting a few, but there, there's a good mix of everything. And there was no business that made it to the point where it's established and that second generation didn't have to work inside of the business every single day, blood, sweat, and tears. The one that had the longest survival was uh, my cousin Joey's dry cleaner. And he had to slave away inside of that business for his entire adult life up to the point where it got too hard for him and he went to work with somebody else. Now, maybe that business just isn't set up for it to be absentee owned. That's possible. It's also possible that the processes inside of that business didn't allow for him to be able to step away. And that's something that I look at very deeply when we're looking at doing an acquisition. You see, it's more than the fact that the owner is still working and we'd have to replace that owner as an employee now. So inside of your business, You have a magic gift. That's how you ended up where you are. But if you left, it's not just a matter of we need to replace one person. What do you have your hands in as far as different parts of the business? So like if you were involved in some of the marketing, a marketing person, but you also might be involved in sales. And in that case, we also need to look at somebody an actual individual just focused on sales. And you go down the list, there's all the different parts and pieces inside of your business. The more of those that you're actively engaged in, the more people are going to be required 
to replace you. Because naturally, the person that's buying this business isn't going to be the same person you are and want to spin all of those different plates. So that's an important thing. And I was looking at a business down in Texas, um, trucking space, and the owners were still involved in four pretty key areas of the business. Now, one of those was also bookkeeping. And this is going to bring me to my second point in just a minute. But I would, one, need to fully audit their financials because no offense to them, I'm sure they did what they could and did it as good as they could. But I need to know that it'll pass an audit. And I have a low confidence threshold that that's the case. They're also still involved in client relations. That's not good. Because how can I tell if those relationships are going to continue? And even inside of the one that I'm looking at now, how much of your revenue comes from one client? Ideally, it shouldn't be above 15, 20%, usually maybe 25. The one I'm looking at is closer to half. Now that could be a little bit of a struggle. In our case, we have plans in place for bringing on different sources of revenue, but in general, if you have that high level of concentration, that that's a very big risk factor. And I've turned down other companies before because they were solely dependent on one source of revenue, and that source of revenue wasn't even under contract. That's a dangerous game to play, and most people aren't going to want to play that game. That That's high risk, maybe reward, and that, that's not great. So as I look through the financials for these businesses, I'm also looking at excessive expenditures in any one department. Now, all of us as business owners know that the tax code is a very interesting thing. And there's, per the rule, the ability to write off some certain things. I was looking at a company in Florida and this individual, well, let's just say a lot of cash went moving from one place to the other. And then there were boats and other things. And I don't know if he was writing it off as a promotional expense or whatever it was, but it made the books very suspect. It's not a good look for a third of your annual revenue to show up in a different part of your books, not accounted for, or have deductions for your seller discretionary earnings that can't readily be explained because naturally they're going to say, well, you know, you can add that back in and that's part of our profit. But was it a business expense? Was it an actual just personal thing? Like you bought yourself a boat. We didn't have any information on that and their financials weren't good enough to be audited. So again, had to step away from the business. And I keep beating over the head on some of these things because a fractional CFO nowadays doesn't cost a lot of money. And it takes away a lot of the headaches of doing your books. Now, with the company that my partner and I are going to be targeting, their books are pretty good. They've been audited in the last two years. That's very good. That that helps with a level of confidence in that business. Now, if you've had a desire to sell your business, you might want to spend a couple bucks and have a quality of earnings report done on your business. It's going to make you stand out from your competition. And frankly, if you do find something in the 
QOE, you can then make the shifts required so that your business is more saleable in the future. It's also going to mean that your business is more ready for an audit when these 87,000 IRS agents get to work because they're not going after billionaires. And these are just the parts and pieces that can make your business one run more smoothly, but they can also make it easier to sell, transfer the next generation. And a lot of these processes, I don't blame you if you don't do them. In my first business, I didn't do them either, which is why I'm going to be teaching a lot of these skills on acquisition-based entrepreneurship and what are the key factors that you need to pay attention to to run a successful business. I'm going to be teaching that at UConn's Entrepreneurial Bootcamp for Veteran later this year. And I'm doing it partly as a give back, to be sure. But I'm doing it because going startup is a murderer's row of not good. You know, 90% of those businesses fail. That was pre-COVID, 90% failed. It's not better now. So if you can purchase an existing business that's in the field you want to be in, and then bolt on your individual genius to it and grow that business, that's fantastic. But it also has the benefit of helping that local community not lose a resource that they've probably trusted for 10, 15, 20, 50 years. And that's something that I'm personally passionate about. Those businesses, when they get to the point where the owner dies, owner retires, moves away, They end up becoming asset sales, which means whatever somebody thinks the things in the business are worth, that's what you're going to pay. And that's a terrible thing to happen because you lose that connection to community. I often give the example of the compounding pharmacist down the road. When that individual closes their pharmacy, there's going to be a Walgreens right next door. There's already a CVS just down the road, but there'll be a Walgreens too. And the same thing would be true for a mechanic shop when you start to get the national chains in instead, or plumbers, or name a thing. But that's what happens when you lose those good community-connected businesses. So if you are one of those businesses, it would behoove to maybe take a look at some of the things that we're talking about. Make sure that your business is running where you don't have to be as involved in the day-to-day operations. You know, candidly, I'm looking at the acquisition that I am. It's close to a $50 million deal, and I'm not going to be engaged in the day-to-day of the business because I won't need to be. I'll be able to focus on the strategic side of things. But that's the value of a smart partnership. And if you need assistance with getting to the point where you can have those smart partnerships, I'm happy to take a call with you to walk through what we're going to do. I'll give you all the keys to the city as far as the different tools we use. Because for me, it's important that these local small businesses, your small business, thrive and be successful. So Mike Demo, I appreciate the time that you've shared with me today. If you have additional questions, there's a few ways to reach out to me. You can go to www.growwithdelta.com. On LinkedIn and Facebook, it's Mike Demo, D-E-M-O, very simple. Um, If you found value in what I've shared with you today, I'd like to help reach more people. So if you could leave a review or a star rating, 
That would be fantastic. Um, share it on social media. All of those ways help grow the reach and impact the lives of other small business owners just like you. So it's much appreciated, and I hope you have a successful week. Thank you.